0: Well, obviously, after that, we're going back into our series, uh, continuing our series on Better Together. And today I want to continue a sermon that I started two weeks ago. If you look at the top of your listening guide, you'll see the first two points of that sermon. And I just want to give you a a quick um, summary of that. We help each other grow. That's what we're talking about today. How do we help each other grow? Well, first thing is by affirming each other's worth. We defined this. We said that affirming other people is radical acceptance. doesn't mean that you necessarily accept everything they do, but you accept them as a person and you love them like Jesus Christ would. Radical acceptance. We talked about paying attention to others because you can accept someone and still ignore them. So if we are going to be the type of church that Jesus Christ wants, we've got to pay attention to people. We talked about giving affection. Remember hugging your neighbor? How many of you remember hugging your neighbor? Come on. Y'all, y'all loved it that day. And, and how many of you sat next to somebody hot? No, don't do that. Don't do that. You're, you're just out of luck. We'll have to do that another time. And then we talked about verbally appreciating. And only at New Life does this happen. You're such a smart-aleck group of people that no sooner had I dismissed you that day that you started walking around going, I verbally appreciate you. I verbally appreciate you. And I went, oh, these people, hard-headed, obstinate people. Oh, Lord, how long? no. That's Moses. Anyway, but you started walking around. And some of you went up to to my wife and said, Janie, I just want you to know I verbally appreciate you. And they went up. I know you went up to the sound booth. I verbally appreciate you. That does not count. All right? That's not verbal appreciation. Now, I wasn't fishing for any appreciation that day, but uh, on the back of Carl's card, Carl Dorsey wrote this. He said, you're a blessing from God. Thank you for touching us with God's love. I appreciate you. That's appreciation, all right? You, you tell somebody why, that you, you thank God for them, you tell them why you thank God for them. And then Carl's so good, man, you did good. Carl's so good, last week I'm gone on vacation. Carl writes on his card last week, James' sermon was awesome. God gave him some good stuff for us. Doug, I thank God for you. I'm, he's even appreciating me when I'm gone. I'm like, that is some good stuff. And then I tell you all the time that when Janie's in here, she was here two weeks ago, I always look for her card. Here's what she said from, from two weeks ago. She said, great job today. You really drove home each point with love, humor, and urgency. I'm always in awe of how God uses you to touch each person's heart. He must be so proud of you. I know I am. I love you, and I am proud to be your wife. That's appreciation, all right? So we got to get better than I verbally appreciate you. That sucks, okay? That's, that, that, that doesn't work. All right. So we help each other grow by affirming each other's worth. Second thing we talked about two weeks ago is by praying for each other's growth. And I gave you a whole bunch, a whole list of scriptures that day where you can plug people's names in. People that you love who need wisdom, who are are overwhelmed with life, who are making big decisions, who are hurt, who can't seem to forgive someone. You can plug their names in and you can actually pray God's word for them. and, And God responds when we pray His word. Now, tonight, when we have our small groups, we're going to start off by praying for each other's spiritual growth, but we're going to do it a little bit differently than than what you probably have experienced. If you've been around church life anytime or been around small groups or Sunday schools or whatever, here's what we usually do when we pray. We get in a group, we get in a circle, and, and we say, you know, you lead. And so the leader, the, the lead-off batter, he'll he'll pray. And, and sometimes we're thinking, I really got to do this prayer good because I'm the lead-off batter. You know, I'm the lead-off. So we pray like we wouldn't even talk. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, God of earth and outer space. You know, and we just do this big, long thing to try to impress everybody. And the bad thing is, God's not impressed with that. He says, if you're trying to praise, to impress people around you, then that's all the glory you're ever going to get. That's, that's all the reward you get. So, um, then, then the next person, and sometimes we think we've got to outdo the first person. Then you got the hesitator. And by the way, I've heard this from, uh, from a book. Um, what's that book called? Jonathan Acuff thing, stuff Christians like, it's a great book, but he talks about how then there's the, the pauser and you don't know because you, you think that they go ah, and you think they're going to pray and then they don't, you know, this happens in groups. And then the, 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 the last person thinks they've got it out. Here's what we're going to do. Tonight we're we're going to pray conversationally. Because we don't talk like that. We don't let one person, other than at church, we don't let one person just talk and talk and talk and talk. What we do is they say, hey, this happened to me the other day. And somebody goes, oh, that happened to me too. And someone's like, I was thinking about that. And we kind of talk in, in, in sentences, in spurts. So what we're going to do tonight in small groups, we're going to start off praying conversationally. And you're going to do this. We're going to have a rule that you can pray one sentence at a time. One sentence at a time. If someone prays more than one sentence, you kick them. You kick them in an affirming way, but you kick them. All right. Because this is the rule, because what we're going to do is we're going to start praying. And some of you have never prayed out loud and you're so afraid of praying out loud. Some of you, it is perfectly acceptable tonight when someone prays and you like what they just said, you can go me too, God on that one. And that is perfectly acceptable. If that's the only thing you say tonight, because what we do, my small group gets together over here and when a lot of times at the end of the, the, our meeting, we'll, we'll take prayer concerns. We go around the room or around the circle and we take prayer concerns. Well, when you speak your prayer concern, doesn't God hear that? Haven't you just prayed about it? And then, you know, what we do is we'll take notes and, and, because, man, I forget. If there's 12 of you in the group, I forget. And, and, and I pray for, for Chad's motorcycle to get well, you know, or whatever it was that Chad said. And, and we go around the group, but, but we're going to pray conversationally tonight. And I think we're going to do this for the next five weeks. I think this could be huge in your life and in the lives of people in your small group because we're going to pray like normal people to a God who is sitting in our midst, who has promised to be there with us. And when we start praying for each other, what happens is the distance between our hearts shrinks and we get fellowship, which is the whole point of what we're doing with small groups. So we want you to come and be a part of that tonight. This could be really big. Now, why are we doing such an emphasis on small groups? We've already been this, been doing this for several weeks and we've got a couple more weeks to go. Well, Romans fifteen five holds the key. Paul is writing to the church in in Rome, and he says, May God develop maturity in you so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us all. What I want you to do, this is on your listening guide, and I want you to circle the word maturity, and then I want you to circle the phrase, get along with each other, and I want you to draw a line between those two things. Because according to the Bible, the test of your spiritual maturity is relationships. It's not how much you know. You don't need another Bible study. You need to put into practice what you've already learned. The vast majority of Christians know more about Scripture than what they're doing. Maturity, according to this passage, is how you get along with others. So, if you are one of those people that has a hard time getting along with others, guess what? You're immature spiritually. You have a maturity problem. Because the test is relationships. Relationships. If you're threatened by other people, if you're always worried about what other people think, if you can't get along with others, it's a maturity problem. You are immature. You need to grow up. And we're going to try to help you do that in the context of small groups. Now, what I'm going to talk to you about the rest of today are some keys to how you can grow. And this next one is the secret to growing faster than any other way I know how to grow spiritually. And here it is by admitting our mistakes. Some of you going, Whoa, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to tell anybody that I'm, I'm a mess up. Well, everybody knows. But this could be huge for your growth and for mine. Because the Bible says this in Ephesians 4.25. No more lies. No more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other, after all. When you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. Okay, the Bible says no pretense. Almost every church I've been in has been a bunch of pretenders. We, we dress up on a Sunday morning. We polish our lives so that we look good to everybody. And we miss Jesus when we go to church. Anybody, anybody on your Facebook, you, one of your interests is hanging out with, with pretending people? With folks who lie about who they are and pretend? Anybody? I've never seen that on, on any Facebook status, that that's part of your interest, is hanging out pre- with pretenders, with fakers. We don't do that. So when you're honest, it says to be honest. What are we honest about? Some of us are very honest about the faults in others. And that can destroy community. What this is talking about is being honest about who you are. So if you're struggling with doubt, you say, I am struggling with doubt. That's just a confession. Confession is agreeing. Everybody knows there's something wrong. So you're just getting that out there in the open. You're being honest about it. I'm worried about you fill in the blank. I'm feeling lonely today. I'm having a hard time forgiving that person. That's confession, that's being honest. The most honest place on earth is supposed to be the church. Is that your experience? Unfortunately, no. So we're going to try to do something about that. But uh, honestly, admitting my mistakes seems kind of risky, doesn't it? Why would anybody do that? Glad you asked. I'm going to give you four benefits to honesty that you're not going to get anywhere else. Number one, emotional healing. The key to emotional healing is to be honest with others about what's going on in your life. This comes from James, the half brother of Jesus, in in chapter 5, verse 16. Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be what? What's the last word? Healed. Admit your faults. Now, this is key. Admit your faults to whom? One another. Not to a priest, not to a preacher, not to a, a counselor. He says, admit it to one another. Why? And then he tells you at the end, so that you can be healed. This is a key in Celebrate Recovery. Some of you have been to Celebrate Recovery once or twice and you've quit. And I just got a newsflash for you. You're not well. You're not healed from your past. Because it took you years to get as messed up as you are. And it's going to take some time and some honesty for you to get healed from your past. And, and one of the things that, that we're going to try to do in small groups... Is, is help each other to heal. Now let me clear up a, a, a common misunderstanding. There's a huge difference between forgiveness and emotional healing. If you need forgiveness, you ask God. The Bible says you, you confess and ask God to forgive you, and He forgives you. But emotional healing isn't the same. You don't have to tell anyone to be forgiven. You tell God, and He forgives you. But God says that we're supposed to tell others. If you still, still feel trapped in your past... You can't let it go. You still feel emotionally scarred. It's because you've not obeyed Scripture. You haven't told another Christ follower what's going on in your life. You're too proud because you you somehow think if you keep it secret, then people will like you more. God has wired the universe in such a way that emotional healing comes not from telling God as if God didn't know already. Emotional healing comes from telling someone who doesn't know. If you want forgiveness, tell God. If you want healing, if you want to let go, if you want to be healed from your past, you have to tell someone else. Now, don't tell everybody I wouldn't recommend that. You don't tell everybody. You're not going to stand up here and blast out, this is what I did. No, we're not going to do that. But you need to tell at least one other believer or your small group, some spiritual accountability partner who will pray for your emotional healing. So the first first benefit of being honest is emotional healing. If you've not received that, then you are probably not being honest. Second benefit is a fresh start. Another law of the universe is contained in in Proverbs 28, verse 13. Anyone who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Some of the most faithful leaders in our church have come through Celebrate Recovery and have led step studies in Celebrate Recovery. Um, Every member of our board... Is, has gone through recovery, including me. Now, that's not a prere- prerequisite for being on our board, but, but um, isn't it just like our God to take messed up people, clean them up, and then use them to help other messed up people? I mean, that's what God does throughout the Scripture. That's what He does. One of the best things that can happen in our small groups is we can help each other to forgive ourselves. Lots of folks have confessed to God, but they don't feel forgiven. They still feel guilty. And see, your feelings have nothing to do with whether a loving God has forgiven you. See, he he nailed Jesus Christ to the cross, and forgiveness was was expressed 2,000 years ago. Forgiveness before the sins you even committed. But you've got to come to God and ask for that forgiveness. And then he applies the blood of Jesus Christ, an innocent third party, to cleanse you from your sins. So forgiveness is a certainty, it's a fact, whether you feel forgiven or not. And sometimes you need somebody to look at your life and to say, you are forgiven. You need another human being to put their arms around you and say, it's okay. Don't allow your sin to define your future. I don't know how many times I tell people this. I really don't believe God is nearly as worried about your past as He is about your future. In fact, I said this just the other day. I was talking to a young man. And I said, I see God's potential in you and it hurts my heart. To think that you may never reach that potential because of the choices you make. I don't know how many times I've said that, and people sometimes still need to hear that God is a God of second chances, He's a God of a thousandth chance and a God of two thousand chances. God never gives up on you, even when you give up on yourselves. There's a third benefit of honesty you get God's power to change. Some of you need a fresh start. Some of you need God's power. And you're one step of honesty away from that fresh start. Here's kind of a uh, funny video about how you can get God's power to change.
1: I love to run. It's what I do. It's what I am. People are always asking me, Blaine, tell me why you run all the time. My response is always the same. I run because I'm a runner. I haven't always been a runner. A couple years ago I decided I'd give it a try. So I did what I saw other runners do. I joined the track team. I quickly learned that just being on the track team doesn't make you a runner. I mean, I get out there and run my heart out, but I always seem to fear. Running straight isn't as easy as it looks. I was about to give up when I finally realized what was different about me. I was the only one wearing a watch. That's why I couldn't run. The watch was weighing me down. Though it was big and weighed a ton, I was kind of attached to my watch. Literally. couldn't get it off. I have tried before. I tried to pull it off, tear it off, cut it off. I tried many things. I finally just got used to it. I mean, yeah, it hindered my running, but people thought it was cool. I actually made friends because of it. We all have crossroads in life. This was mine. I realized I had a choice, get rid of the watch somehow, or get out of the race. At that moment, I made the decision, I chose to become a runner. Right then I heard somebody say, do you want me to take the watch off? This guy was standing next to me, kind of freaked me out. I guess he knew what was going on told him I wanted to be a runner, but couldn't do it with my watch. He asked me again, do you want me to take off the watch? I said yes. He smiled and somehow managed to take it right off. My life since then has been all about running. I mean, I'm running now in a way I never thought I could before. I still stumble at times, but I never fall. I have a passion for running I never dreamed I would have. I owe a lot to that guy who freed me from my watch, or shackles, or whatever you want to call it. I sometimes wonder what he did with my watch, but I do know this, what he did set me free. My name is Blaine, I'm a runner.
0: And some of you are stuck is because you've never admitted uh, to God that you've got problems. You've never admitted to someone else that you have problems. And, and to get God's power to change you have to admit your mistakes to others. And, and the key is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9, God is speaking to Paul and he says, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. I don't know if you realize this, but in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, God is pursuing weak people. Have you ever wondered why? God opposes proud people, the Bible says, but He gives humble people grace and honor. Humility happens when when I'm honest about my mistakes. And the Bible tells us that the moment we're humble, then God comes and meets us and He gives us power. And He does things in us that that we can't do in ourselves. Some of you are unable to change your past, and it's because you've been trying to do it in your strength. You need supernatural power, not natural power, to change your past you're hiding your faults, and you'll never get better that way. In James chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up in honor. It's a two-step process. First comes humility. Then comes grace to change and honor. And see, God wants to, to find you and to connect with you and to heal you from your past so that He gets the glory, not that you get the glory. Now, there's a fourth benefit to honesty. And it's deep relationships. It's what we really want. Every one of us wants to have people that know us and love us anyway. And we want to have people that we know them, everything about them, and we love them anyway. Some of you have been coming to New Life for years, but you don't have one close friend. You know whose fault that is? Yours. In order to have friends, you got to be a friend. Janie's mom used to tell her this all the time, especially right before she went off to college. She pulled her aside and she said, Don't sit in your dorm room or in your apartment expecting people to come by and knock on your door begging to be your friend. She said, You're going to have to get out because Janie's kind, she's a naturally shy person. She said, You're going to have to get out and go do some things in order to find friends. So she plugged into what used to be called the Baptist Student Union. Now it's BSM, Baptist Student Ministries. I guess that's a better word than union. Union's like a 1950s word. But about 50 years later, we, the, the Baptists will figure it out and change words. Anyway, so she went there and she met some really deep Christian friends. And, and when she struggled at times in college, it was her Christian friends who kept her grounded. So her mom gave her some great advice. And if you don't have friends in this church, if you've been here any amount of time, maybe the problem is the person you see in the mirror. Maybe you've not taken a risk to reach out and to become friends with other people. Um... Look at what First uh, what 1 John 1, 1.7 says. If we live in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And fellowship that he's talking about here is the deepest connection between hearts. Living in the light brings fellowship, deeper fellowship. And that's because in the light we can't hide. In the darkness is where we hide everything. So right now there's all kinds of lights shining on me. If you had an HD camera, you could come right up here and you could get every flaw in my face. And that would be really gross and kind of embarrassing. But if we are in the darkness, go ahead. I can pretend all kinds of things now, right? I have hair. <laughs> I am really well proportioned. I have uh, no gut. I have all kinds, you know, I can, you can go ahead and turn it back on. In the dark, I can pretend. I can be anybody I want to in the dark. But what that's going to do is that's going to keep me from connecting with you. Because you don't want to to be close to people like that. You want to be around people that, that others go, they're the real deal. No faking, no pretending, they're the real deal. That's who you want to be with. And see, intimacy, our world believes, especially in America, we believe that intimacy happens in the dark. According to Scripture, true intimacy happens in the light as we walk in the light we have true intimacy with one another because we quit pretending and and we tell each other the truth. The myth that that we've bought into is that if people know the truth about us, they won't really like us. You don't like pretenders. You said that a while ago. You don't like fakers. If you don't like that, other people don't like that either. If you're drawn to people who are honest about their mistakes, if you're drawn to the people who are real, if you practice that, don't you think they're going to be drawn to you? Doesn't that make sense? We've got to be honest. And, and, and then when people say, I like that guy, they know exactly who you are. I like that woman. I like being around that person because they're real. We've spent nine and a half years as a church trying to be real. And failing at it a lot of times. But admitting it when we fail and trying again. And I share with you when I mess up. And, and I'm amazed when I share with you how, how much grace you pour on me. And when we've had others up here who have messed up, who've, who've asked for forgiveness and grace, you've been an unbelievable church in pouring out mercy and grace on those people. And, and those times I walk out of here going, we got it today. That was church like Jesus Christ intended. Some of you have come to the conclusion that your life is really messed up. And we applaud you for coming to that conclusion. But don't buy the lie that people aren't going to like you because you're messed up. Just because you're jacked up doesn't mean you're hopeless because God brought you here today for you to hear these words. He wants to heal your messed up life, your secrets that you don't want anybody to know. He wants to heal you, use you in other people's lives because then everybody around goes, there must be a God. Because you changed. You ever had somebody from your past come up to you and say, What's going on in your life? Because you're not like you used to be. That's God making his power known to others. God wants to use you that way. There's a fourth way that we help each other grow that's by encouraging each other's commitments. The way God created things is that when you help other people grow, you grow more. Ask anybody who's ever taught a Bible study or led anything in the church, who learns more from that study, the teacher or the students? It's always the teacher. If you were going to get in shape physically at the Y, the best thing you could do is get a, a training partner. We want small groups to be your spiritual training partners. Because look what Paul told a young pastor in 1 Timothy 4, seven. He says, keep yourself in training for a godly life. Quit trying to be a good Christian and start training to be a good Christian. Talked to a young man this week and he said, I try to be a good Christian and I fail. And I said, well, quit trying. He said, what? And I said, go into training. You know, because we've t- I've talked about this before. How many of you could go run a marathon right now? Be totally honest. How many of you could walk out the door and run two times and a little bit more around the loop around Palestine? Let me see your hand. None of us. Wow. If we tried really hard, could we do it? No walking. I'm talking you run. Anybody? If we went into training for the next six months, if we set the date and we trained, we we got off the internet a training deal and we came and we met every day and we trained, how many of you think you could do it after nine months? You could run, not fast, but you could complete it. Sure. See the difference in trying and training? Too many Christians are trying to be a good Christian. We're trying harder. I'll try harder next time, God. I'll try harder. And we don't do any training. Your spiritual training comes on Sunday mornings, but that's not enough. One hour out of 168 hours a week, it's no wonder we're defeated by Satan because we're not training to fight him. Small groups gives us another opportunity to grow. But you need more than that if we're going to grow spiritually. So we've got to make a commitment to training. You're going to become whatever you're committed to. If you're committed to having a good marriage, you'll have a good marriage. If you're committed to having a good family, you'll have a good family. If you're committed uh, to becoming debt-free, eventually you'll become debt-free. Whatever you're committed to, you will become. And some of you who say, well, I'm not committed to anything, well, here's, the, here's a news flash for you. Other people are shaping your life. If you say, I've got no commitments, you, you do. It's just other people are forcing their commitments on you. Some people are committed to alcohol. Some people are committed to uh, work. Some people are committed to pleasure, to sex, to just having a good time. And, and some of you are going, stop judging me. Well, here, here's the thing. If you get on 287 and you drive to Corsicana and you come right there, you know, to that, that intersection we've all come to, if you turn north on I-45 and get on I-45 north, where are you eventually going to end up? Dallas. Dallas. Is that judging you? If I'm over here on the side going, Hey, that road takes you to Dallas. Stop judging me. Okay, but if you turn left, you're going to Houston. Stop judging me. The church always judges me. Okay, I'm just making an observation that if the worship of your life is a bottle of alcohol, you're probably going to be an alcoholic in 20 years. If the object of your life is sex... You're probably going to be a sex addict in a few years. If the object of your worship is as a spouse or another human being, you will not look like Jesus Christ in 20 years. You'll reflect the same flaws of that person that you're worshiping. I'm merely making an observation that whatever you're spending the majority of your time on is what you're going to be like. I can predict what you'll be like in 20 years. And so if you want to become like Christ, if you want to be different, you've got to make some commitments. You were put on this earth, and and people ask this all the time, why am I here? Well, there are five reasons that you're on this earth, and I'm going to talk real quickly about these five reasons. Let's review. The very first reason that you're alive is to make a commitment to love Jesus. Jesus. Jesus was asked one time, they tried to trick him, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And by the way, if you want to just jot this down, that's called worship. You can put that out there next to it. Worship is the first reason you were born. The highest purpose is to worship. Some of you can't discover any of these other reasons because you've not ever committed your life to Jesus. Second commitment, the reason you're here, is to commit to love other believers. Jesus threw this one in for free when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Love God. And he said, the second one is love everybody else. (laughs) Second most important reason in your life is to love other Christians. Once you're in the family of God, he wants you to learn to get along with the rest of the family. And this is called fellowship, if you just want to put that down. If you come to our 101 class next week, we're going to talk about all five of these. But that's called fellowship, the deepest type. We're going to talk about these commitments and then we're going to ask you to commit. If you come to our 101 class, we're going to ask you to commit your life to Jesus Christ and to New Life Community Church because we believe that's what the Bible teaches. You become what you're committed to. We want you to commit to Christ. We want you to commit to plugging into this church and growing. It's critical to a properly functioning church. Some of you need to make a commitment that you're going to be baptized. We're going to do a baptism service in two or three weeks. I'm not exactly sure but some of you have never been baptized. Some of you are afraid of that. And so maybe, maybe your small group needs to commit to getting baptized with you. Or maybe a friend. Or maybe you need to join the church. Maybe Whatever it is, there are some commitments you need to make today. Third reason you're on the planet is to commit to grow spiritually. This is called discipleship. Becoming like Christ. God wants you to grow up and bear the family resemblance, which is to your heavenly Father. And then once you begin to, to develop like Christ, He wants you to share with others the things that He's teaching you. He doesn't bless you just so that you can grow spiritually. He always blesses you so that you can bless and teach others. Third reason you're on the planet is to commit to serve at New Life or wherever you are being fed. Some of you aren't church members here. Some of you are checking us out. That's cool. But at some point, God's going to ask you to plug in. In the New Testament, it, it uses the church The word church, two ways. One is the universal body of believers. Everybody who's ever believed in Jesus Christ is is called part of the church. 2% of the time in the New Testament, it talks about that way. 98% of the time in the New Testament, when it uses the word church, it's referring to a local body of believers where you are expected to plug in. If not here, find a church. You need a church to plug into we have huge needs here at New Life. And next week, we're going to talk about some specific ways that you can plug in and begin to serve at New Life. And, and some of the things that we have, you don't have to be a church member to serve. Some of them you do. Um, but next week, I'm going to spend the whole service talking about the needs we have here and where you can plug in. Because we believe God gave you some talents and abilities so that you can bless others. Whatever you're good at doing, you should be doing at the church. If you say, well, you don't have this ministry, maybe God called you here to start a new ministry where you can use those talents and abilities. Whenever you use your talents and abilities, that's called ministry. And then the last one, the last reason you're on the planet is to commit to share the good news. Some of you are excellent at inviting people to new life. I hear about it all the time. Folks come in the door and I always ask, how would you hear about our church? And they'll say, oh, well, this person invited me or this person has been telling me about. I was almost to Mexico hunting dove uh, a few weeks ago. And one of the guys said, man, I have heard from this person about your church. They love going to new life. Some of you have been inviting and you're actually discouraged because you invite and invite and invite and they don't come. Well, here's my my message to you today. Keep inviting because somebody in your world that you've invited, they may not have been ready yet, but there's going to be a point where they face a crisis. And crisis has a way of of drastically reducing our wish list. All of a sudden you begin to understand what's important when you go through a crisis. And some people are going to be ready to to respond to your invitation if you'll pay attention and look for opportunities. I guarantee you, if you ask God to give you opportunities to share His good news, He'll He'll make sure you find those opportunities. But we're usually not looking because we're self-absorbed. You become others-focused, and God will rock your world with opportunities to serve. The fact is, spiritual maturity is a personal choice. You are as close to Jesus Christ as you choose to be today. Some of you need to to make some choices, because you are going to stand before God, whether you believe it or not. The Bible says that we will all stand before God and give an account of our life. And he's going to ask you, with these commitments I gave you, with the life I gave you, with all the the talents and treasures I gave you, did you use them for my purpose or did you use them for your own selfish purposes? You will give an account. Even if you're a Christ follower, you will give an account of your life. So my question to you today is, what do you need to do? What is your next step? Some of you need to commit to Christ because you've never done that. I'll tell you how to do that in just a second. Some of you need to commit to being baptized because you've never been baptized. And and while baptism does not save you, baptism does not get you into the kingdom of God. It is the very first commandment that your heavenly father has given you after you commit your life to him. And if you bail on the very first commandment that he gives you, I'm not sure he's going to give you a whole lot more. Why can he trust you with other things if you've not even been baptized? If you don't understand it, I'll explain it real clearly. I don't want anybody to be baptized that, that doesn't understand it. But some of you, that's your next step. Some of you have been putting off small groups and it's time that you committed to small groups. Some of you need to serve. Quite honestly, you've been here a long time. And your butt's getting fat, spiritually speaking. The thing that drives me crazy the most in all the churches that I've been in is that there are a lot of baby Christians, fat baby Christians been feeding on the word of god for 20 30 50 years sometimes they've never done a stinking thing and that does not please the heavenly father and then some of you need to commit to looking for opportunities to share the good news with others all right bow your heads for just a moment i want to challenge you to pray this prayer but don't pray it lightly here it is pray it silently in your heart if 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 you mean these words, dear God, I want to grow up spiritually. I don't want to be a spiritual baby anymore. Today, I'm choosing to make some commitments. First of all, I commit my life to you, all of my life to you, Jesus. I want to follow your purpose and your plan. If you've not done this, then you say, I pray, I commit to publicly announcing my faith through baptism. Some of you need to pray, I want to join this church and I want to get in a small group. I want to grow and be the person You want me to be. So God, today I'm committing to the journey to grow spiritually. I want You to make Your home in my heart. And I pray this in the name of the risen Savior, Jesus. Amen.